Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling, as always, is my friend, co-host, and fellow Star-Lord, if we can have more than one, Adam. <laughs> hey, man, how's it going? It, I think there can be, because the title of this episode we're about to discuss is What If T'Challa Became a Star-Lord? I actually, I think I said it incorrectly at the end of our last episode, I said became Star-Lord, but yeah, I guess there can be more than one. I noticed that too when I was putting in the notes. I thought, is that a mistake? Because I've never heard of Star-Lord being referred to as a Star-Lord. So I guess that's part of the multiverse is that if he became a, in indicating that Peter Quill is yet another Star-Lord. Right. Or a version of Star-Lord, not the Star-Lord that Peter Quill was, but a, yeah. a variation on that. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this was, uh, I think this was the first episode. This is the first episode that neither of us had seen. So we both went in first timers for this. Right. And so I was excited to really just ask you the point blank question. What did you think? That's exactly right. I went in knowing nothing more than the title, which we just mentioned. And I have to admit based purely off the title, I was a little skeptical. I was not sure. I felt like it was a stretch and I wasn't sure if they could make this work. If merging Black Panther and Wakanda with Guardians of the Galaxy would work. But I have to admit, I was into it. Once it got going, I totally bought into it and I kind of let go of my concerns. And yeah, they I think they pulled it off. I think they did a really good job. And I think it's largely due to all of the amazing voice talent that they were able to bring back once again. I think every actor who appeared in either Black Panther or Guardians of the Galaxy was able to reprise their roles here, except for Chris Pratt as Peter Quill at the very, very end of the episode. There's like a sync. He has a single line, I believe, that uh, was recorded by a different actor. But, you know, he's a busy guy. So. We'll give him a pass. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he <laughs> fights dinosaurs too, so I guess yeah. we can chalk it up to being a busy guy hanging out with large reptiles and whatnot and saving the galaxy. So whatever. In yeah. another universe, in our universe. In I guess we're I guess we're six one six, right? Would that be safe to say? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of the same way. Part of the reason that I was not as kind of excited about this versus the first entry was the fact that when you talk about the MCU you talk about the what we call the tier one or tier A characters, Iron Man, Hulk, Spider-Man, Captain America, Thor, Thor. Yeah, really the the dudes, the the prime Avengers. Right. Uh, to an extent, you have Hawkeye, you get into all the other characters that culminate to Avengers. And I remember having a conversation several years ago when phase two started and then phase three started going off. Guardians of the Galaxy was about to release and there was speculation. That was the first big jump that I think Marvel took, the first big risk that Marvel took saying Guardians is like a B or a yeah. C tier. And when I say that, I mean it with utmost respect in terms of just popularity. Like when you think about, I'm going to pick up comic books without having the MCU as your reference point, you're not going to pick up Guardians by default. Right. You're going to pick up Spider-Man or Thor or Iron Man because these are your top notch. These are your more pronounced yeah. characters. 
they were not a household name by any stretch. And whereas all those other characters, most of them you mentioned, people who don't read comics were at least aware of them and have seen them either on animated TV shows or mm-hmm. even live action shows. So they've been around in other forms, whereas Guardians of the Galaxy were purely a comic book series that I think hardcore, at least for the most part, comics readers would be aware of. But outside of that, you probably wouldn't have much knowledge of those characters. Right. So we get Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn at the helm, which I think was a great choice because of the tone, again, consistent with the tone of the MCU. And the MCU went intergalactic instead of staying on Earth. Right. And while you had, with the Avengers, you had aliens coming to Earth, it was always central to the planet. So now we get Peter Quill, we get all these other characters, uh, Rocket Raccoon. It just became like this, wow, how did this happen? People loved it. I loved it. Oh, you did. And then we get Volume 2, which is just as good in some ways, maybe a little bit better, subjectively speaking, kind of like saying that The Godfather 2 is better than The Godfather Part 1, but only because The Godfather Part 1 exists. So that's kind of how I feel about Guardians. And so you couple that with Black Panther, who in my mind is another lower level character that had enormous success on the big screen, partly due to Chadwick Boseman, great actor, uh, miss him. He leaves a big hole in terms of just a great acting career. And you put those two characters together and on paper, you're like, why would this work? How could this work? I mean, I can understand switching out Captain America for, for agent Carter. Or what if, what if Iron Man became, you know, got bitten by a radioactive spider or something like that. You have these big A-list comic book characters that sort of switch out. So just like guardians felt like a risk. I think that that's a testament to the MCU and the creative teams that have been behind these movies and stories to be able to say, look, we love both of these characters, so let's do something with both of them. And I thought when you put T'Challa in Star-Lord's outfit, not just physically, but him embodying the Star-Lord, or a Star-Lord, as we found out, it creates this really different dynamic. Because what we know about T'Challa, he is moral, he is principled. He's not like a Wild West kind of character, not like Peter Quill. And what I thought was really great was seeing how that influence just kind of shaped the the Guardians, shaped these mercenaries, shaped these ravagers, yeah, and turned what they did and who they were kind of on its head. And this is why I think the what if concept works, because you can take a familiar idea, flip it over and say, let's try this as a second episode I was really impressed. I was really kind of like, okay, I can I can live in this universe. I wouldn't mind seeing a full-length feature with T'Challa at the helm and Thanos being part of this crew. I mean, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably the biggest surprise to me was seeing this reformed Thanos. But all those components that come together to kind of give these Ravagers a new kind of direction, a new kind of identity – was really refreshing. We weren't getting what it would be like if you just put T'Challa in the driver's seat and take on the bad guys. No, you got you got some of that, but you got to see how his approach or how his attitude really influenced the rest of the crew, Yondu especially. And I think what, what I liked was the consistency of Yondu caring for him just like he cared for Peter. You know, he called him his kid. And yeah. I believe I believe he had that same relationship with Peter Quill. Where he yeah, he was a fatherly like a figure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
So I was overall just like really impressed with it. Well, there's there's a lot of stuff, so we'll just get into it. Sure. I, I like the opening. You got Jeffrey Wright doing his thing as the Watcher. I did see that this was something interesting. There's reverb that actually happens when the Watcher's talking as he's going through the multiverse, as if you know his voice is kind of echoing around the different multiverses. I don't know if that was the intent with the sound editing, but I thought that was kind of interesting because it went from him talking to a reverbed version of him, then back to just normal watcher. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, 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 definitely. And if you listen to it uh, with headphones, you'll really pick up on some of the sound mixing effects that they work in here because uh, a lot of that stuff gets lost if you're just listening through your cheap TV (laughs) speakers. So if, uh, if you can... Wear some good surround sound headphones. Uh, you'll you'll appreciate it even more. Well, the big kind of thing in this episode, and I, I keep wanting to go back to the movie because you naturally want to compare. You know, does this happen? Does that happen? The opening is the same. We get Star Lord stealing this artifact. I don't really know what it was. If it's the same thing, it's what it's supposed to be. One of the uh, Infinity Stones, I believe. Oh um, right, yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. It's the power stone. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but yeah, it's consistent with with what happens in the actual MCU. Yeah, that's right. And in that opening, when he's doing it, when uh, T'Challa is stealing it, you got the Watcher saying that really great line. He says, "Is your destiny determined by your nature, or by the nature of your world?" And that mm-hmm. kind of bleeds throughout the episode, where the place of where T'Challa grows up on Wakanda, how does that affect how he interacts with the Ravagers? And I think that that's, you know, what we just talked about. It plays really well into the the episode as a whole when, we comes, when it comes to family and defining family, uh, creating that really interesting concept. We don't get to see T'Challa growing up. We see him being abducted and we see him as an adult. It jumps 20 years. Yeah, we get hints of that, hints of him being influential, but I would like to see, like in my head, I'm picturing like, what did he do to sort of earn that trust, earn that kind right. of respect from Yondu? And uh, I guess I would have to go back to Guardians and kind of understand, I know we didn't see that in Guardians as well, but there is history there that is fleshed out throughout the episode. I did like this particular story that introduction of the embers of Genesis. Like, that's really cool. Does that exist in the MCU? Do you remember that showing up anywhere? I've never heard of that in the MCU or in the comics. So I was going to ask you the same question. Have you ever heard of this when you read comics growing up? Because I, I haven't. So I'm wondering if it's just something that they devised for this episode to, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a MacGuffin, if you will, to, something to drive the character's forward yeah well i think it it does two things one i think it's a it's the thing that you're going Mm -hmm. after which is great and it helps get us connected to the bad guy the quote bad guy in this which is the uh the shoot what's his name well the collector is his the uh, collector kind of yeah villain name if you will he has a real name too i'm blanking on it but (laughs) (laughs) benicio del toro that's who he is well exactly and he's back as well which is which is amazing you know it's funny because as we talk, you mentioned Thanos being a part of the crew now, which I think is is amazing. He's gigantic, by the way. Like you just look at him next to the other characters, <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, it's a good thing he's on their side because this guy is tough. But it makes me wonder in this world because of T'Challa becoming a Star Lord and somehow, I guess, talking Thanos out of 
eliminating half the universe, <laughs> right? He even says something like, Sometimes the best weapon in your arsenal is just a good argument. So somehow T'Challa, before the events of this, uh, of the main events of this episode, convinces Thanos not to do that. And not only not to do that, eliminate half the universe, but to join his crew and be, you know, essentially rehabilitated. But so that leads me to wonder, in this universe, I guess the events of both Avengers Infinity War and Endgame never occurred. And therefore, there was no blip. And therefore, all of the events surrounding the blip did not occur in this world, in this universe. So it, it seems like there's a lot of ramifications based on this one change in this universe. So I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, I think what we hear in this is that the, the short answer is yes, I agree. <laughs> but <laughs> I look at what he says and it's such a great funny moment between him and Craglin because Thanos says, Although I still assert my plan was not without its merit. And Craglin says, Pretty sure it's still just genocide, big guy. Thanos right. quickly says, And I'm pretty sure it's efficient. <laughs> What's great is you get everybody in the bar going, Ooh, like he just got busted yeah. down like an elementary school guy. But what we hear later on is him referring to the snap. And I have to wonder if leading up to him finally getting all the infinity stones did that just stop like did he understand that the snap is what plus the gauntlet would be what would do that i'm I'm kind of confused because i wonder at what point and i know this doesn't really matter but it makes me wonder at what point did t'challa find him and convince him not to do it did he get all the infinity stones and he just gave them away did he have the infinity gauntlet and he knew he was going to snap but didn't have all of them so that's kind of speculative for me of like you know what does that mean I feel like based on what we're shown, and again, because they're acquiring one of the stones in that opening scene, I feel like this version of Thanos, he may have been aware of the gauntlet and the stones and what they were capable of, but he never decided to go searching for all the stones. He he changed his mind, essentially, and just joined gotcha. this, this ragtag group <laughs> of ravagers, and, <laughs> and just that's his life now. He lives with these guys and... And does what they do and he no longer has this need for power and and making a huge change in the universe so that's how mm-hmm. i i took it but again yeah it's it's not hugely important for the episode here but it's just it does these types of of stories do raise lots of questions i like that the embers of genesis aren't just a MacGuffin; that they actually have some kind of altruistic purpose and i think that's why t'challa wants to go after it even in spite of the fact that the collector is the one who has it And we get in that scene in the Galactic Bar. I don't know where it is, but it's a cool place. I'd like to actually go visit that. But we get to see that T'Challa's like, yeah, we should do this because of what it can possibly do. It reminded me, Adam, of the Genesis machine from, I think it was Star Trek II? Yeah, Star Trek II, yeah, the Genesis project where they uh, essentially can, it could kind of rewrite all matter. and, and, uh, And this is sort of what they're saying. It would make enough food to essentially stop any starving worlds from starving anymore. This would provide a solution to that sort of galactic problem that we, of course, have on this planet of not enough food for everybody. So, yeah, you're right. Right. Again, these really are the good guys in this world, whereas I think in the movie, they're kind of walking a fine line between, you know, good and bad, or, you know, they're a little more in that gray area. They have more, as you said, positive goals and intentions for everything they do. In yeah. this universe. And the crew itself is different from Guardians that we know. We don't have a Groot. We don't have a Rocket Raccoon. Right. And I can't remember what Dave Batista, his character, 
he plays the bartender in this. Yeah, and that's episode. it. He just, yeah, he's clearly not part of the of the group. He's just, but they found a way to work him in, which I thought was great. Right. And I don't think that was Dave Batista. I do think that was one other actor that was was okay. unable to return. Now that I I look at the cast credits, uh, I I don't see his name in there. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's a couple missing characters here but that's okay i feel like they added some other interesting characters which round out the team <laughs> yeah it's it's the dude that was at the beginning i can't remember his name but he was going after the stone as well right voiced by uh jaiman hansu i think is his name there the he is yeah 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 from amistad uh, that yeah that's okay yeah, yeah. i recognize his is uh his voice <laughs> so yeah. But the name obviously isn't as easy to say as like John Smith or something like that. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but we also get, you know, Thanos, as we mentioned. And I think later on, they pick up, I don't know who this is, the dog with the, the helmet, the space helmet. I don't know if that's yeah, a character not, that... There's something there. I think that's an inside joke that I, I missed or went over my yeah. head. I, I'm not sure who that's supposed <laughs> to be, but I'm sure it's some... It's, it's It means something to someone, I'm sure. Yeah, I thought we might get Howard the Duck joining the crew at that point. Right. <laughs> but clearly he was just there for laughs, uh, played by Seth Green. Yeah, and, and it's fun because he also voiced the live-action version in the various cameos that he made in Guardians of the Galaxy uh, 1 and 2, where in Volume 2 he actually says the same line. He says... You know what they say when you're out of luck. Always go duck. He says that in this episode <laughs> as well as uh, uh, the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And I don't know if you know, but he actually has a small cameo in Avengers Endgame as well. He, if you, and There's one scene where if you look like between all the heroes when they're kind of lining up to battle Thanos, he's in between a couple of them just standing there oh like he joined the Avengers. <laughs> he doesn't have any lines. He doesn't do anything. He's just there. Kind of, You can you know, blink and you'll miss it. But uh, I like oh that gosh. they found a way to work him in. So he's officially part of the MCU as well, as, as ridiculous okay. <laughs> as he is as a character. <laughs> and uh, did you ever watch the uh, did you ever watch the 1980s live action oh, yeah, movie I've, with him? I've seen it with uh, Leah Thompson from Back to the Future. Yeah. Yep, 1986. <laughs> Pretty bad. I look back on that. Yeah, it's not. I don't look back on that fondly. It's, no, he's, no, he's terrible, man. A lot terrible. of people consider it like one of the worst comic adaptations of all time and actually it was one of it was i think the first feature film that was adapted from a marvel comic there were some like tv you know movies and other things back in you know the 70s and 80s but this was the first attempt to do a feature film uh theatrical adaptation i think it just it flopped miserably at the box office i'm not sure what anyone was thinking back in the mid 80s when they thought (laughs) it was a good idea But I don't know that the world was ready for a, a duck with like a James Bond kind of flair, yeah. like the like hyper masculine type. I don't know. That was just it was weird. I, I watched it as a kid and thought it was funny. And I watched it as an adult and I said, I didn't get half these jokes. And I'm glad no. I didn't because this is just this feels awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but it was fun to see him pop up again in this episode. He frankly yeah. has more screen time and more lines and he has had in any of the MCU appearances thus far, but which I think is, again, this is another thread that they were able to connect to the films and in a a way that makes sense because in the first film, you can see first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, you can see him in the background behind the collector in a cage, in a box. You can see Howard Duck. Uh, So he's, again, that was a sort of an Easter egg cameo 
uh, from the first film that they were able to work back in. And with The Collector, by the way, I just have to say that Benicio Del Toro does a great job again, but this animated version of him is so much bigger and more ripped <laughs> than he is in the films, which I thought, yes. thought was interesting, an interesting choice that they kind of made him this, like he's almost twice the size of T'Challa here in the fight scenes. And I just clearly in the movie, he's played by an actor, normal sized uh, Benicio Del Toro. So I thought that was an interesting choice to kind of make him more threatening and larger than life. But I, I just like this character in general in the films and in, in this episode. He's kind of this weird combination of like Noah, like he has his arc of all of the kind of rare creatures and, and beings from, from the galaxy. But he's also just kind of a play. They're playing off of just the comic book collector, right? Everyone wants to get copies of their favorite issues and put them in mint condition, you know, comic book bags and cases. And I just think that's fun. And and I, I know we're both Star Trek TNG fans, and this reminds me a little bit of the, the third season episode called The Most Toys. Do you Have you seen that? Yes. It's where Data gets captured by an obsessive collector. Yeah, yes. very much like this guy. And he gets like, yeah. added to his rare collection. So that, mm-hmm. uh, again, I, the collector has been around for a long time as well. So I, it's, I, I always enjoy those parallels. <laughs> Me too. It also reminds me a little bit, the attitude of the collector reminds me a little bit of Quark from DS9. Kind of his, oh, yeah. kind of swindler, making deals, negotiating. I think that that kind of attitude, that swagger, Benicio Del Toro brings that to the to the screen here with his voice and the action. I mean, he's very just matter of fact with what yep. he's talking about. He doesn't feel like he gets so excited about using some of the tool, tool some of the weapons that he's stolen He's got, uh, obviously, he's got Cap Shield, which, again, makes me think, what happened? Yeah, what happened in this universe? How did he get all of this stuff? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, again, we don't we don't need to ask answer those questions, but it's, it's what if. Yeah, what, what happened? Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's the second question is, what happened after what if? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, he had Thor's hammer, I think. And, of course, he has Hela's headdress and right. uh, and necro sword from thor <laughs> ragnarok that which he uses <laughs> in in his battle so like with um the last episode with captain carter there were some great action scenes especially in the second half of this episode really fantastic that really plays well especially with t'challa and the collector and also i thought the fight with thanos and the collector's minions and guards was was incredible just so something you you just couldn't get I think as well with live action. I mean, there certainly were battles with Thanos in the uh, Avengers Infinity War movie, but it just, there's something about the way they were able to showcase his fighting ability here that really stood out for me. Yeah. It was really like heavy hitting on both sides. You had the collector who just laid the smack down on T'Challa for a while until Yondu shows up. And even Yandu, who didn't want to be a part of this, like he saw the collector as being someone you just don't want to mess with. He was very much against it at first. And then, of course, T'Challa convinces him because he can do that. In fact, I think at one point he refers to what they do as robbing from the rich to give to the poor. And he says, just like that earthling folk hero of yours, right? Robin Leach. Robin Hood. So I thought that was pretty funny. But, you know, you have Yandu coming to the rescue with his whistling arrow what I liked about those fight sequences is not only showing off the strength of all the characters, particularly the collector, but also really showing how the crew up or the team works together because 
simultaneously when that was going on, you also had the fight with Thanos and the minions outside. Right. And then he had to get rescued. But the punches that they were laying on him, I mean, he was getting pummeled. Oh, totally. And yeah. the the way that they show that, you don't ever think that for Thanos. He's a big dude, but he doesn't have powers. He's not the strong guy. In fact, I think in the bar, he said, yeah, I was in line to become the most powerful person in the world, but I went straight. And so this guy took it from me. It's just so matter of fact, but yeah. he's right. He's got this ominousness to him, but without the infinity gauntlet, he's, he's a really just big thug that, right. you know, he can fight, but he's also vulnerable. It's like when, you know, Superman decides to just become Clark Kent, and get rid of his powers. You know, think bad things happen in diners after that. Right. So right. I thought I thought both of those, fights were i would say appropriate because they didn't feel like intergalactic battles with guns and things like that i mean they were fist right. fights this is what the guardians do they get into fist fights with people and when you have somebody like the collector who has the capability of using some of his trophies or some of his artifacts i mean that amps up the kind of the intensity quite a bit and what i thought was great in that particular sequence adam was watching yondu and t'challa do the uh, sticky fingers. I think that's what they yeah. called it. And he's yeah. like, well, who's going to be the sticky part? And he goes, you are because of what you did earlier, because of lying to me. You know? Right. And so it, it was such a great thing because it kind of tells you that, that more of that history that they have. And, you know, they, they do these different kind of schemes to try to get what they need. Yeah. But obviously it's all for altruistic purposes. So we can really cheer them on. I love that. Yeah. And I think this episode, especially the the middle section of it, it's really like a caper film, you know, a little bit like Ocean's Eleven. You know, yeah, they're really yeah. just, they have this plan, they have a plot, and they're kind of showing what they have to do. Of course, like most of those films, things don't quite go <laughs> exactly as planned. And I think that's why it works so well. And there's just a lot of good comedy in this here as well. And just like the Guardians of the Galaxy films, both of them, they're really action comedies. And that's why I think they were so successful at the time. Not that there wasn't comedy in the previous Avengers movies and so on. But I think this film was the first that really pushed the limits, if you will, into the comedy genre to a point where it, if it was done incorrectly, it could have been like a parody or a farce, but they found just the right balance where it's the, there's still the weight and still the, the gravitas that these are important things that have to happen, but the characters just happen to be humorous and how they interact. And I think that's what comes right. through again in this episode is that these, with the voice actor cast largely returning, they were able to bring back a lot of that humor and a lot of those relationships that the actors first established in the films. Yeah, that I think is really important because if you had changed that with this by bringing in T'Challa's character as the Black Panther that we know, that would have probably created a weird dynamic of what this episode could be. And Guardians, from a comedic standpoint, I enjoy more than like Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok, for me, felt like a long SNL sketch in, in a lot of ways. It was hilarious. I mean, I laughed my butt off in the theater when I watched it, but it felt so misplaced compared to its predecessors. Whereas you got James Gunn, bringing Guardians of the Galaxy to the big screen, you're already setting us up for that action comedy, that ability mm -hmm. to have like a buddy cop kind of relationship between Peter and Yondu. And I think that is still here with T'Challa and Yondu. It's just a different dynamic because of what T'Challa is bringing to the table. Right. Sort of how he was raised by his father. That's the big 
change, right? That's the big dynamic that's different from Peter Quill, who didn't have that upbringing, that same type Absolutely. of quality parenting, if you will. So I think we, you're right. We get, even at a young age, I'm assuming he's like 10 when he gets abducted, you know, even Something at a young like age, he's, he's bringing with him so much of what he was going to bring to Wakanda one day when he would take over, right? He already was being groomed for that role eventually. Mm-hmm. So he was able to take those tools, those lessons, and the, and the morals that he was taught with him in, into space. So I think, right. again, we skipped over those 20 years. We don't see them, but we, we assume that because we know what T'Challa is like as a adult man in the films, that he would bring the same that same sensibility to any group that he was involved with. Right. And I think it worked nicely. Again, I was skeptical as I mentioned earlier, but I think they did a really nice job with, with this episode. It, it actually, sometimes I like when a show, if I have low expectations and it kind of rises above those and surprises me in a pleasant way, I'm actually more appreciative <laughs> of it than, than if I'm like, oh, that sounds <laughs> yeah. amazing. And then it kind of like, all right, yeah, it was okay. But you yeah. know, I'm always happier to be pleasantly surprised. And I definitely was with this. I was too. I like the fact that when you get to experience T'Challa as a Star-Lord, you're getting that Wakandan influence throughout. Right. And specifically, I think that comes to fruition when he uses his necklace to break free of the collector's, like, guest trophy case. And that's when the big fight starts. The writers could have abandoned the Wakandan culture. They could have abandoned that and said, nope, he's going to be influenced by these guys. And he was. And I think that's what the Watcher meant when he asked that question, are you influenced by your by your surroundings? Is your destiny determined by your nature or by the nature of your world? And I think it's asking that same question that we ask, what influences a person growing up? Is it who they are or is right. it where they live? And kind I think it's nature both. versus nurture, like in trading places. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what yeah. that movie was, <laughs> yeah, was asking. Exactly. Just like that. Just like yeah. that. <laughs> and here we have T'Challa trading places with yes. Peter Quill. So Exactly. So I, I think that that was a great choice to be able to incorporate that. And then it came kind of to a nice fitting conclusion when they got back to Wakanda. He gets the really approval of his dad. Right. Like his dad doesn't feel like he's he hasn't made a man made a man of himself. I think what his dad sees is that he's accomplished what he's meant to in a literal universal way as opposed to a worldly way. So what we know as Black Panther, who is the Wakandan savior, he's now taken that same ideology, that same stuff, and has really kind of filtered it through the lens of a Ravager. I love seeing how Yondu talks about him and how he is so honored that he gets to meet T'Challa's dad. It reminds me a lot of those ideal relationships where you have either the birth parents who give their kid up for adoption, but they maintain this relationship with the adoptive parents. Or when you have a family who the husband and wife, they divorce, but they divorce amicably and they're still friends and they're still trying to do the best for their kids. And then the stepdad comes in and then there's like this good dynamic where they both kind of respect each other. I kind of feel like that's what we get here, where you have T'Challa's birth father has given him all that he needs up to that point at 10 years old, and then Yondu takes that and nurtures it and gives it on a more intergalactic scale. It's cool to see how his dad is proud of what he's become without necessarily being Wakandan specifically. 
he's made an impact beyond just the world of Wakanda. Right. I think he even mentions that he's saved the galaxy, or not the galaxy as a whole, but he's out there doing far more good than just that of what he would have done in Wakanda or on Earth. So clearly he's making a difference, and he's very proud of his his adopted son, if you will. Going back to Chadwick Boseman, you know, it's interesting because he died in August of 2020, and I believe this first season started in August of 2021, so about a year about a year later. Clearly, he recorded this prior to his death. And according to Kevin Feige, who kind of runs the MCU, he said that Chadwick recorded numerous episodes of What If before he died. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to return later in this season or in future seasons. And it's very common with animation and voice recording for an actor to just do all of their line recordings in one sitting so that you have to be really organized and have all your scripts plotted out far in advance. But if they did that, it's possible we're going to get some more of Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther or as T'Challa in future episodes or seasons of What If, which is exciting because we lost him way too young. And this was such an important character for so many people, uh, especially young people who looked up to him and he really, I think, was one of the most important superheroes of the last decade for so many people. So I'm excited that he was able to get some more episodes in the can, if you will, before before he passed away, because there's so much more he could have done with this character in the films. And if we get him in animated form, then that's, that's still pretty great. So I'm excited. His voice is so distinct in this. Yeah. And, um, and I've seen him in other things. I there's a movie that I really adore called Draft Day with Kevin Costner. Oh yeah, he plays a uh, a potential draftee, and he's um, he's one of the main you know characters in the movie. It's always fun to watch him in that, and then see him as as Black Panther with that really fantastic, I guess, Wakandan accent. It's yeah. so kind of breathy. Like you'll be like, "We are ravagers. We do not back down from a fight." I, I just think, like even when he delivers the line after Howard the Duck makes that, that line you mentioned earlier. He goes, yeah. You know what they say when you're out of luck? Always go duck. I'm pretty sure no one says that. Oh, they say it. Really? Totally. It's just so great. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, you know, I miss, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss that in yeah, yeah, future installments of whatever the Black Panther becomes. Right. And apparently they're working, or they may have completed shooting the sequel to Black Panther. So, it's coming. I don't know how they're handling the situation. I don't believe he's been recast, so it's going to probably be someone else taking up the mantle of Black Panther is my guess, but I mean, yeah. you know, I, I haven't read too much. I try not to read too much about what's coming, because I, I actually like to be surprised. I don't even like to watch trailers, generally speaking, because I don't want to <laughs> see any both. key moments <laughs> that might ruin the surprise. Yeah, I, I first saw Chadwick, like most people, I think it was the the Jackie Robinson film that he did with uh, Harrison 42. Ford. Yeah. Yeah, 42. Um, which, you know, at the time I didn't know who he was, but he certainly, he stood out and he was incredible in that role. And uh, it, it was so great to kind of then follow his career for the next eight years or so since that film came out. I'm a big fan of Michael B. Jordan, and it was really cool to see both of them on the on the screen at the same time. Just oh, yeah. doing their thing. They were both really fantastic in Black Panther. They were, yeah. Well, well before we wrapped up... Uh, wrapped up before we wrap up <laughs> are there any other things you want to bring up easter eggs things that you wanted to point out that we haven't covered 
you know, just the, the very ending was fun because we get a little kind of, it's not a post-credits scene really, but it's it's a little coda where we see Peter Quill, you know, working at a Dairy Queen. And then his father comes in, played again by Kurt Russell, which I, again, thought was just fantastic. I mean, that Kurt Russell, as busy as he is, and I, I know he's not retired, but he's not really doing a ton of acting anymore. So for him to just be like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that line for you guys and come back. I just thought that was great. And again, he has such a distinctive voice as well that you would know right away if it wasn't Kurt Russell or not. Everyone knows Kurt Russell. So for me, I think I just get such a kick out of hearing these well-known actors doing these voice roles and reprising their characters in such small parts. I just thought, I think it's great. So I really enjoy that little ending and it kind of leaves it open a little bit. Like, well, what happens next? Like, that's what's kind of fun about these what if stories is that they do create a new universe where you, in theory, could keep following the characters in this new timeline and, and get just as attached to the stakes of where they're going as we are in the in the kind of prime universe that we're seeing on the big screen all the time. So I, I, I really enjoyed that little ending and I'm excited now. I'm sort of more into this series than I thought I would be already after only two episodes. I'm excited for the next one. Me too. I think that there's just uh, just so much good stuff that can be explored. I'm excited that there there is a season two on the way, at least from IMDb's like yeah placeholders it's it shows that there are a total of 18 episodes available or will be available and uh, you know obviously second season's all blank but clearly what if was a popular enough series that disney said let's go ahead and green light the second season but yeah i i love that ending and i i guess that was a callback to to like dairy queen. i just thought it was funny you know of course peter quill's working at a dairy queen right because yeah. you know why not but that may have been something that we saw in guardians or guardians 2 i can't remember was I think that was where he got abducted, right? Yeah, I believe that's right. I think in the opening, there's, there's some connection there. I kind of want to revisit. That, that's one thing about this yeah. show is it kind of makes me want to revisit the movies. <laughs> don't have a, a ton of time to rewatch every MCU movie that's being referenced or discussed in these What If episodes, but it does make me want to go back and, and revisit them. Me too. We'll just watch it on 2x speed for <laughs> Disney Plus have that option. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out, and then we'll wrap it up, is... During the flashback sequence when T'Challa was you know, being kind of talked to by his dad saying, hey, you've got greater things happening and you know, I want to see the universe. I want to do something. As he is throwing the spear, there's this great shot of him picking up the spear in the, in the background of the sky. You can see a little silhouette of the Watcher. I don't know if you noticed that. You know, I, I did catch it at first, and then I you had mentioned that in a note to me, and I kind of had to go back and, and look for it, because I'm always up for a good Easter egg like that. I love finding little Easter eggs or just references, things like that, that, that you just, you might not see on first glance. That does make me wonder, is something like that, like in every episode, is there a little 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 blip of the watcher so i kind of want to go back to the first episode and say hey is is the watcher somewhere close by or maybe i'll just get the internet to do my homework for me <laughs> right <laughs> i also love that you know we get planet nowhere yeah that's always familiar we have um it was at nebula that puts the uh, the embers of genesis into the mouth of uh of that big dude. I can't remember his name. Yeah. And yeah. it just starts growing and growing. And so I nicknamed planet nowhere, planet Growware. So there you go, you know, yeah. trademark that <laughs> once it becomes a thing, then we can make money for this podcast based off of that. <laughs> exactly. And I love that nowhere is essentially the sort of 
severed head of a dead celestial like this it's like the size of a planet but it's just the head of uh, as like the skull of of this being it's just such a cool idea it's so massive sure. well that is going to wrap up this episode of an original series adam what is coming up next episode three of what if is what if the world lost its mightiest heroes so it sounds like this one is sort of heading back to phase one of the MCU with the uh, kind of Avengers initiative forming uh, mm-hmm. the original Avengers. So that'll be that'll be fun, you know, to kind of go back because right now we're kind of with this episode, we're kind of in more of the middle of the uh, MCU timeline thus far. So this is right. sort of going back to those early years, you know, the late aughts and the early 2010s <laughs> when... Uh, it's hard to believe it's been that long, you know, that I know. Iron Man was the first in 2008. Is that correct? Or is it seven? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Iron Man and Hulk were both came Hulk, out a few months apart. Yeah. And then Thor. Yeah. Captain America. Yeah. So we, we were just starting back then, but that was the, and I, and it's so funny to sort of go back and think about the fact that it was such a huge deal when you saw Samuel L. Jackson show up at the end and mention the Avengers initiative for the first time. Like that was just we didn't have anything like that up, up until that point where you could see them starting to build this broader universe where all these characters could join up and be on the screen at the same time. Like this is what the childhood version of me always wanted. And we were finally starting to see the seeds be planted. And so, uh, yeah, so this will be fun to see how they're going to handle that sort of period of phase one. You know, it's interesting because what I like about this type of anthology series is that there may be an episode that doesn't click with us or with you or with me and that's okay it doesn't necessarily affect my overall appreciation for the show or the concept of the show it's much like we mentioned last time the twilight zone where there are some absolutely amazing episodes of the twilight zone and there are many very forgetful ones and i'm happy to have the great ones and if it means getting some not so great ones to get to the good ones i'm okay with that I'm I'm hoping they'll all be good on some level, but we might have to <laughs> trudge through a couple that we don't love in order to get to the good ones. And if we do, we do, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying that this next one is, is going to be that case, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just I'm okay with that. Like, I don't necessarily expect that I'll love every episode because it's, it is jumping all over the place. And mm-hmm. it's the likelihood that some of them will, will be better than others. Sure. Subjectively speaking, I mean, I'd look yeah. at... I look at a series like this, just like I look at a series like Star Trek Voyager. And as I was going through my essentials watch recently of Star Trek Voyager, because I was pulling up the the list from IMDb, they have the rating, the IMDb right. rating. And I would what I would do is I would say, okay, I like that episode. What's the rating? Okay, it's 7.5. And then I'd watch the next one on the list. And I would say, even before looking at the rating, I would kind of say, what did I like? Did I like it more than the other one? And if the ratings were consistent with my reaction, I would say, okay, so the next two episodes are going to be 6.5 a piece. And I'm like, okay, so I probably won't like those as much. I'll continue to watch them because I know they kind of push the story along. And sure enough, maybe this is just the psychology of it where I'm sort of doing a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I noticed that my taste, the way I appreciate an episode, fall in line with the ratings overall. With the, with the fans that are rating them, yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking the first episode was a 7.0. The second episode was a 7.8. I didn't like necessarily the second episode more than the first, but I liked it more than I thought I would. And so when I see like 7.8 for for the next episode, 8.9 for the one after that, and then the the next one, you know, the lowest one we get is a 6.5. 
I think I'm going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even the the, the lesser of the batch is still hopefully going to offer us some good entertainment value. Right. Yeah. So I'm excited in any case. This has been a, you know, I'm two for two in terms of liking the uh, the episodes. So yeah. hopefully it's nine same for here. nine. Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I am too, man. This is, this is going to be lots of fun. It already is. And let's just keep rolling with it. All right. Thank you guys for joining this conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here. <laughs>